Uh, we can always be better at whatever we do. Yeah. We can be better sportsmen, better parents. We can be better spouses. We can be better. Yeah. We can always be better. I don't, think we can always, I don't think any of us can put up our hand to say we can, we're the best. I, I knew that curry wasn't safe last night. <laughs> uh, look, all good. Isn't it exciting when people get baptised? Um, legitimately and seriously, and, and welcome to all those that are guests here today, but if there's anybody here that's not been baptised, never step into the waters of baptism, particularly as an adult, um, can I encourage you to pray about it and to consider it? You know, uh, yes, there's an example of our Lord and that's what he did. It's what he commanded us to do. He tells us to go and make disciples, baptising them. Yeah, he tells us that. But what the Bible doesn't tell you is the supernatural thing that happens in your life when you get baptised. There there's no words on paper that can articulate it. And everyone has a different experience. You know, my daughter will tell you, my youngest daughter will tell you that when she came out of the water, she just felt light. Her word was, I just felt light. Because it was like a burden had lifted, I just felt light. When I got baptised in the last millennia, um, for me, it was, I, I just came out happy. I'm normally happy, but I came out like really happy. Like I was just happy. Faith, my daughter Faith, my eldest daughter will tell you, she saw angels. And there's something that happens and shifts in the spiritual realm when you make a decision in a physical act of baptism. So if you've not been baptised, please consider it. Don't discard it. Yeah, it's really important for your faith because you, you'd be amazed how things just all open up for you. Amen? Amen? Is that cool? Anyway, let's jump straight in. So I think it's safe to say, or at least for me anyway and in my upbringing, that when we were growing up, somehow we learned about prostitutes. Yeah? <laughs> Generally speaking. Like, seriously, generally Dave's thinking, what did he just say? <laughs> I think it's safe to say that when we were growing up, we learned about prostitutes. Now, it may have been something we saw on television. It might have been a magazine that we found. It might have been from our friends at school. Yeah, go with me here. But legitimately speaking, majority of us, it's safe to say that we learnt. We found something out, yeah? We, we learnt that there was... A profession in life that some would say is the oldest profession in the world. Yeah? We learned that there are people that literally sell themselves to willing buyers. That's what we learned. Like we did, if you think about it. I grew up in the western suburbs of Melbourne and not far from, from our home. If we were in West Footscray, if we went to a part of West Footscray in between a couple of car yards or went out to Kensington, there was these two different houses that had a red light outside. How did I know what they were? We learnt. We all learnt. The truth be, you know, truth be known, we all learnt. And because I've just shared all that, and some of you are thinking, what the heck, we just had baptisms, maybe we should pray. It might be a good place to start. Yeah? So, Father, we just pray that you make sense of this beginning, that you have your way today, Lord, that we would walk away from this place more in love with you, full stop. Everybody said? Amen. Yeah. Yes, please, Lord. Yes, please. <laughs> Allow it to make sense. So, now that I mentioned that, um, the book of Hosea, chapter 1. 
We're going to have a look at a little bit of Old Testament. So Hosea chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, we're going to read. It should be on the screen. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Beri, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehosh, was king of Israel. Verse 2, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, 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 I always get it mixed up, I'm sorry. Thanks, Hosea, we'll go with that. He said to him, go, like you've got to love it, God speaks to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshipping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. What a really interesting passage of scripture. Seriously. I reckon I could count on about three fingers. This is going to be a huge generalisation. But how many people in this room alone have actually sat with that passage in the last week? Go, wow. Well, you're such a good God. You know, like, go and marry a prostitute. The story of Hosea has got to be one of the most emotionally disturbing (laughs) and, and gripping in the Bible. It has to be. He's a man. He's called to be a prophet of God, yeah? He's called to be a prophet. God has set him apart. I want you to go and save the nation of Israel. I'm going to speak to you. You're going to speak to them. You are my man, yeah? And so as he's preparing for his ministry to the Israelites, almost like going to Bible college or seminary, getting ready to pastor a church, God visits him and says, Oh, by the way, just before you start, if you don't mind, go and marry a prostitute. No one's shocked by that? You just think that's normal, right? Yeah, you've got to come out and say, hey, go, Mary. Look, hello? There's something really disturbing about that. And again, let's assume Hosea's like us. Let's just assume that he's like you and me, yeah? He must have been shocked that Father God asked him. He must have been gobsmacked. Like, seriously. God, God, I love you. You know I love you. You know I'm going to serve you. But I think you gave me the message that belongs to Jack down the road. I don't think what you just said belongs to me. Because I'm going to be your prophet. I'm a good man. I'm your man. I reckon he would have been crushed. Just imagine. You're about to start your brand new role. You're about to pastor a church somewhere. You're going to lead a friendship group Bible study or you've got this huge business that you're about to open up. And God says, by the way, before you do that, go and marry a prostitute. Have a great day. And off he goes. There's no other words. It's almost like when he spoke to Noah. Noah, go build an ark. And then you read later, 100 years later, and God remembered Noah. So God just rolls up. He says, by the way, thank you. You're giving your... I'm stoked that you're giving your heart to me. You are the man. I am so going to empower you. The words that you're going to get are going to be off the chart. Israel is going to be better because of you. And they're going to learn from you. And it starts now. Go and marry a prostitute. That's really sobering. That's really unusual. That our God, our loving God, would choose 
to teach a nation through a prophetic man that way. Now, you can't, you can't possibly... Daddy, Daddy, Papa, God, you can't possibly mean me. There's, there's no chance that you could mean me. Like I've been studying in Bible college. I, I, I've been reading all, all the old passages of Scripture that have been handed down from father to son and father to son. Like, like, like I pray and I praise you because so, you can't mean me. Thanks, but, you know, maybe you got it wrong. Anyone else ever thought God had it wrong? Or just me, yeah? Every once in a while, God asks you to do something, you think, right, yeah, okay. I don't know, I don't think so, God. <laughs> Again, it's just my lack of faith, yeah? But here's Hosea, and I reckon he's freaking out. God, a prostitute. Do you know what she's done? Do you know where she's been? Do you know how people look, look at her? Do you know? But somehow, in all of that, not that it's written, but Isaiah seems to say, not my will, but yours be done. Yeah? Almost like Jesus, not my will. Take this cup from me, Lord, but not my will, yours be done. He seems to, to say that. Now, I just want to throw this out there because... The name Hosea actually means salvation. I want you to remember that for later, yeah? Because everything that's happening in this chapter, God's setting him up to, to save the children of Israel. And his name happens to be salvation. So Hosea meets a prostitute named Goma. It used to be one of my favourite TV shows. You remember Goma, Paul? Anyway. Um, named Goma. And he did, he actually did what Father God asked him to do. He did what Father God asked him to do. He asked this prostitute, Goma, to be his wife. Can you imagine how tough it must have been for him? Seriously. Just, you, you need to have a little bit of a chuckle within yourself. Imagine how tough it would have been for him. Because when I think about this, when I was reading this, for, I'm, I feel sorry for him. I want him to marry the love of his life. I want him to marry the girl that he fell in love with when he was in high school, you know, in year seven. And then they got to year 12 and they were still professing their love to each other, you know, and they ran down the street and there was strawberry fields forever and they got married, yeah? Happy, happy, joy, joy. But no, that's not what happened. Could you imagine? Here's this guy. Now, I'm going to assume as a prophet of God, yeah, that he is spotless and clean. I'm going to assume that he's a virgin. Yeah. Now, on the married marriage night, he would have been like, look, you've got to go with me here, please. Yeah. He would have been like a boy in a lolly shop. Woohoo! Yeah, married night, marriage night. Like, no husband in the house ever was like that, right? Please. You know, like, come on! That would have been Hosea, yeah? But for Goma, what was to take place, all of the ecstasy, all of the thrill, all of the excitement, it's not there for her. It's a job. That's what she did. It's a chore. She shuts off from life during it, yet Hosea it would have been 
for him, something that he would have wrote home about, yeah? My heart goes out for him. Just for a minute, just think about that. If you're in that boat, not that God seems to ask us these things these days, yeah? Now I'm going to make a statement. Now we know how God felt. Now we know how God felt. See, during the days of Hosea's ministry, Israel was a prosperous nation. It was healthy. Politically, military, it was strong, but it was morally bankrupt. Morally bankrupt. They would turn and look and worship other gods. It says in Hosea 3, verse 1, The Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again. You've got to understand, here's another part of the story. She goes off, gets sold in prostitution. He goes back and then he buys her back. That's a whole other story. But this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. They were morally and spiritually bankrupt, the Israelites. They often, they often looked to the Canaanite god Baal. They worshipped him. And the worship of Baal and his Ashtoreth, they, there were some really wicked acts that they would do in their worship of that God. So the people of Israel had no real love for the real God, yeah? no real desire for his word, no heart whatsoever for worship. Nothing at all. His people, Father God, Papa, Daddy, the, the, his own people who he loved and protected had slept around. In a spiritual sense, yeah? Not once, not twice, but multiple times. Over and over and over and over. They were totally faithless when it came to God. They literally brought false gods into the holiest of places. So for me, I reckon, I'm going to throw it out there, God was furious. I reckon God would have been angry and disappointed that his people had been so, so foolish so hard, so overconfident, I reckon Papa's heart would have been broken. Now think about it, what could have been and should have been a holy union between God and his people instead became the brunt of jokes and laughter amongst the other nations. Yeah. Now catch this. So God tells Hosea that it, really that it's not good enough for you to know, Hosea, it's not good enough for you to know about this spiritual adultery of Israel. I want you, Hosea, I want you to feel it. I want you, Hosea, to experience it. He wanted Hosea to literally live with a heartbreak of loving a prostitute instead of a cherished and spotless bride. That's what God wanted for Hosea, yeah? What a lesson to have to learn. You know, you and I, we're like those Israelites. Or we were like those Israelites, if you prefer. We were like the adulterous Goma. We were like that before Jesus. See, most of our lives, really, we are men and women who, who seek approval away and apart from Father God. Everyday life. So this story is a picture of exactly what it's like for Father God to love us. 
Yeah? Sobering, isn't it? But overwhelming all at the same time. He could do so much better, but he chose to love us more than we could ever know, more than we could ever desire, more than we could ever imagine. Yeah? That's, that's how much love. He could have chosen a pure bride, a perfect bride, a spotless bride, but, but instead he chose you and me. He chose us. Yeah? Just like Hosea having to, cho- to, to choose Gomer, he chose us because that's what we were like. That thought should break our hearts for how much Father God loves us. That thought should wrench at our souls at the extent of his love for us. It's really quiet. See, Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah? The whole story of Hosea, as his name suggests, it's all about salvation, our salvation. <coughs> And today we saw three people, yeah, jump into the waters of baptism. Three people who can relate to that story. Three people who are able to say, do you know what? I'm not worthy of your love, God, but I accept what you have for me, yeah? I'm not worthy of all that you want to do. The fact that you sent your son to die on a cross and then raise again, I'm not worthy of that. But I accept that. Thank you. And so today they decide, decided to be baptised because they're like, okay, that is so real that I'm going to draw this line back here and, it, and I'm saying to the world, that's who I was, but this is who I am. I'm a child of the Most High God. That's what we witness today. People who the reality of that story of Hosea is so real to them that they're like, I will do anything to follow, to live and to serve my Lord. I think that's awesome. It became real to them how much God loves them. That's why it says in 1 John 4.19, we love because what? He first loved us. Yeah? We love because he first loved us. We understand. He doesn't love us because we're worthy. He doesn't love us because we're good looking. He doesn't love us because some of you are fit and some of us aren't. Yeah? I, I, actually, I, I actually had I had the boys at indoor soccer yesterday and uh, I was talking with um, one of the mums who's got a couple of kids that play in my boys' team and um, we're just chatting and I must have mentioned something about Melbourne and she goes, so you're not originally from Ballarat? And I said, oh, no, no, I'm not. We've been here about seven years. She goes, oh, I could tell. I didn't want to say anything. She goes, she goes men from Melbourne always dress better. <laughs> now, I, I, I draw that to your attention, not so you can understand and see the reality of that, but that's not why God loves me, yeah? That I dress better than the men from Ballarat, apparently. But hey, who am I to disappoint her? Yes, you're right. Thank you, thank you. You know, today I, I, I really want to talk to, the, to, to Jan and to Jim and, and to Chris. I really want to talk to them that have been baptised because it's so fresh. What's happened to them is so fresh. But, but I, I want to encourage you to grab hold of anything that I say, yeah? Like eavesdrop, grab it. it. It could be for you. But I want to challenge them a little bit. So now that... 
now that they've been baptized, now that we've been saved, you know, we're saved when we, when, when, you know, when we call out to God, when the journey begins. Now that he sent his son to die on a cross and then raised from the dead, now that we actually have a life in Christ, what now? What, what now? Why are we saved? Well, I guess we're saved so that we can spend an eternity with our Father. Yes, we're saved so that we can have a relationship with Him. Yes, we're saved and as a consequence our sin is dealt with, yeah? Because He didn't die on the cross to deal with your sin. He died on the cross to bring you back into relationship. And part of that, He dealt with your sin. He loves you first, yeah? Because yeah. it's not a punisher first, He's a lover first. So why did Father God pay such a great price for us, why? For what? Well, let's do a little bit of a Bible jump. So Romans 6.18 says, You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Okay. Saved and set free to become slaves to righteousness. Now, this is what I want to ask. What does that mean? What is righteousness? Or better still, who is righteousness? I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians 1.30 tells us really clearly, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. So when the Bible says we've been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness, it's saying that we have become slaves to Jesus, okay? Go with me here. So we've become slaves to Jesus, but what does he want us to do? What does Jesus want us to do? What does Jesus want Chris, Jim and Jenny to do? What does he want them to do? What does he want you to do? Another great question. Thanks for asking. I, I want to say this. I believe that we're saved to serve. Yeah? Amen. So I believe that we were saved to serve God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.9... In the Living Bible Translation, it says, It is he who saved us and chose us for his holy work. Not because we deserved it, because, but because that was his plan long before the world began to show his love and kindness to us through Christ. So Papa, Father God saved us so we could do his holy work. Now, this is really important. I want you to get this. You're not saved by service. Yeah, Most of us at Mount Clear Church of Christ understand that. For our guests, whatever church you're a part of, Wherever you attend, let me make it really clear, as far as we're concerned, you are not saved by what you do. Yeah? You're not saved by service, but you are saved for service. You see, in God's kingdom, we've got a place, we've got a purpose, we've got a role, we've all got something, a function to fulfill, all of us. Yeah? All of us. Yeah? Actually, look to the person on your right and go, that means you. Yeah? Look to the person on your left and say, I'm not too sure. <laughs> See, everything we've read this morning, God didn't have to choose us. He could have chosen better. He really could. He could have chosen better. But for some reason, he decided to choose us anyway. And it cost Jesus his own life to purchase our salvation. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For God bought you with a high price, so you must honour God with your body. So we're saved for his holy work, but what's his holy work? I'm saying we're saved for service, but what is service? 
And then we've just read a scripture that says, you know, that we're supposed to honor God with our body, but how do we honor God with our body? Now, I'm going to go out on a limb because I don't think Christianity, Christendom in general, answers this very well. I actually think the church over the centuries has fluffed it big time, yeah? Big time. Yeah, it's again, I know, right? So I think we need to go back to the initial question. Why were we saved? Why did he pay that price? Why, why, why? Time to Bible jump again. You ready? Because I believe over and over and over again, we read the same phrase. Yeah? Particularly in Exodus. Exodus 8.1, the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and announce to him, this is what the Lord says, Let my people go so they can worship me. Exodus 9.1, go back to Pharaoh, let the, Lord, the Lord commanded Moses, tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so they can worship me. Hebrews 10.3, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, how long will you refuse to submit to me? Let my people go so they can worship me. And in fact, you can read that phrase over and over and over again, yeah? Let my people go so they can worship me. So when we're saved, we're saved for one thing and one thing alone, to serve Father God, to serve Papa. Now, what does that look like? It looks like this, yeah? Hands open, worshipping Him, adoration of him. Let my people go. Jesus came yeah, to free us from the very thing that separated us from Father God. Yeah? Sin. Sin in nature. Right? He came to do that. And then when, he do, when he did that, we're now free to have what was taken from us, a relationship with God. Now, I don't know about you, but if God was in the room, I would be like this right in front of him, at his feet, worshipping him. And the reality is, spiritually, he is in the room. He is in our lives. He does rest upon us. But somewhere, somehow, I'm going to suggest that we've missed what it is to serve God and made it about stuff, yeah? See, when you worship... It's not about hands open. That's my kids at Christmas time. Yeah? Hands open. Oh, Father God, we love you. What are you waiting for? Yes, there are things that God gives us. In fact, everything that he has is we have already. In fact, we have unlimited access to heaven. The treasuries of heaven are open for us. Yeah, the mysteries of heaven he wants to bestow upon us as we grow in our relationship with him. See, when I say that we are saved to serve, what I'm saying is that we were saved to worship him. The decision that Jen, Jim and Chris made was to say, Lord, God, you are Lord of our life. We're going to worship you. We are going to completely be abandoned in our worship of you. It's not about what we want from you. It's just about you. 
We're going to worship you. In fact, we're going to make a public statement in the baptismal water so that everyone that watches knows that we are worshippers of Jesus. See, when we fully understand what it is to worship him, we'd understand that it's an act of complete surrender. Our worship is surrender. He saves us to serve. Our service is worship, and our worship looks like complete surrender. Hands up, all, all to you. You know, if you look up the word worship in the dictionary, it says reverence, revering, worshipping, adoration, adoring, devotion, praise, thanksgiving, praising, praying to, glorification, glorifying, glory, exaltation, exalting, extolment, extolling, homage, respect, honour, honouring, esteem, and it goes on. Nowhere there is there a word that suggests... They are all words that suggest this. They are all words that suggest we are just in complete adoration of the king. Pharaoh, let my people go so they can worship me. Let my people go. Jesus dies on a cross destroys the power of sin and death that stopped us having a relationship with God. So now in our freedom, yeah, we are slaves to righteousness, slaves to Jesus. And what he wants from us <laughs> is this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, Romans 12.1, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. A living and holy sacrifice. I don't know about you, but I get really excited when I start reading stuff like this. See, a sacrifice, generally speaking, and particularly in those days, in that context, a sacrifice was something, an animal generally, that was about to die. It was giving its life. And it didn't want to. It didn't have a choice. It was just slain anyway for God. See you later. Thanks very much. Appreciate the blood, the fat, the meat. Good. You're dead. Bow. And then God says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. What an oxymoron. You can't be living and be a sacrifice because the sacrifice has to die. But here he says, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable this is truly the way to worship. What's he saying? What's he saying to us? See, when we come to the Lord like this, decision made, fully aware, fully alive, hands pointed toward him. Take it physically or spiritually, yeah? Understand the heart behind it. What we're saying is all to you. I mean, I adore you. I respect and honour you. You are my God. You are my king. You are my saviour. You, you are my redeemer. You are my kinsman. You are the first. You're the last. You're the author. You're the perfecter of my faith. You are my king and my Lord. Yeah? Hands like that. Hearts like that. Let my people go so that they can worship me. You think about when royalty comes. You know, if you watch some of the old... The old shows, you know, I used to love watching, you know, um, The Musketeers and stuff like that. But 
if you, if you think about royalty, people that are part of the kingdom, they come to adore and to worship, really, royalty, to, to exalt them, to glorify them. They come and they clap, you know, and they're just there and they try to get as close as possible to get a touch. But those that are outside of the kingdom, they're outside of the kingdom and they're begging, give us, give me. But those that are in the kingdom, they're not asking for anything. They're just trying to get as close as possible to royalty, to their king or their queen. Let my people go so that they can worship me. So you and I were saved to serve. And our service, get this in your spirit today, yeah? Our service, Jen, our service, Jim, our service, Chris, our service to him is to worship him. There is no higher calling than to worship him. There is nothing that you can do, plan to do, succeeding that is higher than worshipping the king of all kings. Let my people go so that they can worship me. And the th- those three that were baptised today are saying, we know why we were saved. We will live for you, we will worship you, we will serve you. Let me explain it like this if I can, because I, I, I want to... I want to wind it up, but I want, to, I, want to, I want to impart. This should excite your spirit, yeah? Luke 9, 62. Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plough, then looks back, is not fit for the kingdom of God, yeah? Anyone who puts his hand to the plough, then looks back, is not fit for the kingdom of God. You know, for me, when I went through Bible college, this, this passage was always taught about service, It was always taught about service, serving God practically, the stuff that you do. Don't put your hand to the plough. Don't start serving God and then look away and turn away and think you could be doing better things. Don't do that because if you do that, you're not fit for the kingdom. That's what I was taught when I went through Bible college and seminary 27 years ago. That's what I was taught. But you know what? I'm going to make that statement again. I think service has been misunderstood. We are saved to serve, yeah? Our act of service is our act of worship. Our act of service is our act of worship. And from the posture of worship, from that posture of being a living sacrifice. God, here I am. I'm coming to you and I'm yours, yeah? From that posture, there we serve in whatever he asks us to do. But only he, after he asks us to do it, after we've been in true service in worship of him. So now, when the Bible says, If you put your hand to the plough and turn back, you're not fit for the kingdom. You've got to hear me. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you dream to do. It's not about what you no longer do. It's not about that. When it says don't put your hand to the plough and look back, it's not talking about stuff, but it's talking about your worship. When you're putting your hand to the plough, you're actually saying, all to you I surrender. And the scripture when it says don't look back, It's because you've taken your eyes off the one that you worship. 
So when it says you've put your hand to the plow, you look back and you're not fit for the kingdom, it's because you've forgotten. You've stopped worshipping. You've stopped worshipping the king. You stop worshipping the one that died for us. Stop worshipping the one that for many of us have been baptised in the past. And we said we're never going back there. And we look forward to him and we go all to him. And then over the years, life, yeah? And we've forgotten that our act of service is actually our act of worship. And we get caught up doing, doing church, doing family, doing work, doing And all he wants, and he says it over and over again, let my people go so that they can worship me. Let my people go so they can worship me. Why don't we stand? So he paid such a high price. As far as he was concerned, we were spiritually inept. We were like Goma and the children of Israel, sleeping around spiritually because we weren't connected to him. That's how he saw. That's how he saw the children of Israel. Yet in that, while we were still sinners, he chose us anyway. And in that, that statement, the cross, the cross actually says, let my people go so they can worship me. God wants your worship back. Not just the song. Yeah. He wants your worship back. Not the stuff that you do. We always need people to do stuff. We need people to greet, and people to make coffees, and people to move timber, and people to mow lawns. We always need people to do stuff. He wants your worship back. He wants your eyes back on the fries. Yeah. He wants you front and centre, hands and hearts pointed outward like that in adoration of him, in exaltation of him. Lord, I come to you. I'm alive. I'm breathing. I'm well. I make a conscious decision, God, to be a living sacrifice. And I step forward and I give my life to you, all to you. Let my people go so that they can worship me. So I'm going to ask the team to come forward, if that's all right. And I'm going to ask them to play that freedom song. Because there's something in that word, there's something in that song. And I'm happy to pray for people, but this is what I'm going to say. God wants your worship back. During this song, while they're singing about freedom, I want to encourage you, implore you, challenge you, yeah? Don't let the seats keep you where you are. He wants you. He wants you as a living and holy sacrifice to be able to step forward and say, Lord, here I am. I'm alive. I'm breathing. I'm well. But Lord, I give it all to you. Your act of service, church, is your act of worship. So as they play, as they sing, as we worship, this altar's open. And he, God, Father God wants to give you an opportunity to realign your eyes again. For those that have had their hand to the plough and have, and have taken your eyes, the focus of him, 
This is an opportunity for you to realign, an opportunity for you to grab hold of that plow, that opportunity for you to worship Him in complete abandon because that is all He desires. Let my people go so that they can worship me.